eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one star hosts talk about five, four, and three star prospects and everything in between. I am your one star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow co host and podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane. Martinez, Gerard, episode number 12. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Dirty Dozen. Uh, to stick to the hurricane theme, it's the calm before the storm. So there's not a ton to talk about this week. We're obviously going to have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks. But this is going to be the first weekend of official visits for USC. So I'm sure we'll get into that, maybe have some questions about that. The expanding June 10th weekend visit and we went to rising stars so june the weather gets to heating up so does recruiting so get ready folks buckle in buckle in indeed and you already mentioned it we went to rising stars camp and i think that's going to be our cold open uh for today's podcast and yes it wasn't how how i should put this how do i put this nicely it wasn't a super i guess stacked rising stars camp in terms of you know, importance to us, but we knew we still had to go out there. This is Lincoln Riley's first rising stars camp as the USC head coach. This, this one was under the lights, which uh, we were talking about it on the sideline. I don't think that's ever been the case for rising stars. I know that they've had some under the, the light stuff, but this one was definitely uh, at nighttime. It went well into the night started check-in was around five 30, but there was a lot of kids a lot of kids checking in probably didn't start till like closer to 630, 640 when they started warmups. And then we probably didn't get out there till close to 10. I know you didn't get home until super late. But, yeah, just draw early impressions from the first Rising Stars camp under Lincoln Riley. Yeah, first Rising Stars camp that, you know, started under the stars, basically. And uh, it was fun. It's it's nice. I think that environment is always really nice at Howard Jones Field under the lights. Um, they've done some things with Rising Stars over at the Coliseum when Pete Carroll was coach under the lights. And that was, I think, more just a, an experience. They play Trojan ball, which is kind of just grab ass and, you know, just throwing the ball around. Uh, but here you actually had the, the main camp, you know, under the lights at night. And uh, in terms of star power, it wasn't that type of camp. The Rising Stars camp has been more of a development camp, more of a sort of eyeball, younger players, maybe some of the guys that are a little bit more on the cusp uh, that have maybe scholarship offers, but USC still evaluating. And that was kind of 
the layout this past weekend. About 400 kids showed up, uh, which, you know, is a, is a decent amount. We've seen the Rising Stars camps in the past with uh, Clay Helton, uh, some of those mega camps where you had college coaches from other colleges come in, like Jim Harbaugh, uh, the Florida coaching staff notoriously coming to USC and, and not really coaching at the camp, but just having uh, in-home visits <laughs> on campus at USC and that becoming a little bit of a compliance issue. Those camps were huge. You know, the one with Jim Harbaugh, I, I believe there was something like more than 2000 kids that showed up for one, just one of those rising stars camps. And I believe they had two that summer. So that was kind of a cash grab. That's kind of one of those things where you just bring in a bunch of guys and these schools that are coming in to help run the camp are also calling kids because, hey, they're in Southern California and they want to get this guy, that guy. And what happens often is that they call the top players and the top players don't actually want to camp, but they just end up sitting around and talking to those coaches on the sidelines because it's an opportunity for those coaches from you know, Michigan, from Ohio State, from Florida, uh, to be able to get a little FaceTime with those guys on the campus of USC. So it was awkward. It was weird. They've pretty much stopped doing it. Um, so that's nice. You know, we don't see these giant thousand plus camps anymore, which really is unfair to the campers, because if you're a part of a camp with 2000 plus campers, you're paying money to get coached up and you're not going to get coached up. You might get like three reps the whole day yeah. because the running back line is so long. So 400 is definitely a much more manageable number. And I'm sure the kids that went to the rising stars camp felt like they really had an experience. They really got to show out in front of the Trojan coaches uh, more so than they would at a bigger camp. Yeah. You, we can recall those, those uh, when the one-on-one started with the receivers and wide receivers, just everyone just like, just it was just pure chaos guys just fighting for reps you know guys who were taking multiple reps over guys and just like you know two guys coming up at the same time and kind of like nudging each other out the way like no this is my rep so it was a lot more streamlined in that sense and each position group quarterbacks obviously had the most amount of bodies obviously everyone wanted a chance to get uh coached up by Lincoln Riley in that in that that regard so a lot of quarterbacks came out good amount of wide receivers but it felt like a really good amount for each position group like especially for like the the running backs I think I don't think there was more than like 15 guys same with the the linebackers defensive line was pretty pretty small too and offensive line so they got a lot of one-on-one coaching with you know some of the uh the grad guys that were out there Andrew Voorhees Brett Nealon they were out there Josh Henson got a lot of one-on-one time with those offensive linemen Sean Nua got his hands on those uh defensive linemen so those guys the big boys definitely got their bang for their buck uh with the price they paid to to get into rising stars has it always just been rising stars uh like who started rising stars is that was that the Pete Carroll moniker? that was a Pete, that was a Pete Carroll thing they used to have a camp that ran three maybe four days in the middle of summer and then at some point they shut that down and said all right we're doing rising stars it's only going to be two days and it started out rising seniors camp and then it was because it was really more about the juniors that were going into their senior year. And then they started kind of opening it up to, to more underclassmen. So they just started calling it rising stars. And so it became a two day camp. And that's when you started seeing guys from out of state, um, you know, guys like Patrick Johnson, AKA Patrick Peterson coming down and uh, being, you know, one of the old time campers in my book <laughs> and when it comes to seeing a guy just come in and just dominate everything. 
Um, and you had, you know, all that kind of star power. And, and it was sort of the premier camp of college football, you know, for, for a number of years. And then Florida started their under the lights camp with Urban Meyer. And that became a big deal uh, where they would have the camp actually at the swamp. And so you started to see other schools initiate these branded camps uh, that had names and they had a theme to them. Um, but yeah, uh, Pete Carroll rising seniors, which then turned into rising stars was one of the first really camps that drew national attention and attendance. Are you surprised Lincoln didn't change the name or do you think it just makes more sense to just keep that continuity rising stars being, you know, the USC camp? I, I mean, you know, no, none of the other coaches had changed the name. Um, in fact, Steve Sarkeesian actually had the rising stars camp when he went up to Washington. <laughs> so it mm. just took the name uh, from USC and just made it the Washington Rising Stars camp, which I thought was kind of, I mean, kind of dumb. Like you have a lot of <laughs> names you can use, a lot of things you could call it the dog camp and all kinds of stuff. And he just started calling it Rising Stars camp, uh, which kind of, you know, was a little bit of some a theme with him in terms of uh, just taking things from, you know, what he learned at USC and kind of regurgitating them at other schools. But no, I, I, I again, it's 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 not the elite camp that it was. Now you have the elite camp, right? Now you have camps that are more invite oriented and they're smaller and rising stars camp uh, for whatever reason has kind of just become more of the camp where you get a lot of the, like I said, cusp sort of players and guys that are coming there to get coached up from USC and not necessarily guys that are going to get scholarships. I think over the past handful of years you've probably only seen a few scholarships actually come from the rising stars camp but it's a name camp and it still draws a lot of attention so it still draws a lot of attendance because of that and as i mentioned at the top of this cold open it wasn't sort of a super stacked in terms of prospects that you know we come to know and guys who who had offers really the the biggest name there was the three-star linebacker victor victory johnson uh, obviously a perfect name for a USC prospect, but Victory Johnson out of San Diego, he came down big six foot three. He worked with the linebackers and then a guy we had never seen before. And we were kind of curious about, uh, he came walking by and we we're like, that guy looks like a dude, uh, just in terms of his physical, uh, look of him, uh, looked him up. We you were able to do some sleuthing while we were waiting around while they were registering Uh three star linebacker, Carter Davis out of Eagle High School in in Idaho came all the way out from Potato Country to come out for this camp. Six foot three, around two hundred fifteen pounds. You and I, you know, we were excited to kind of see this guy move around, do the camp, participate with uh, Brian Odom. Looked like him and Brian Odom were uh, chatting each other up before the camp even started, when they were just kind of like hanging around, warming up on their own. But then, unfortunately, uh, Carter had what looked like maybe a, a hammy strain. During the warmups, I think he said he told me after that when I when I when I reached out to him on DMs that he was uh, he he tweaked it a little bit earlier in the week and he wasn't going to do the 40. But then it just sort of tightened up on him, you know, during the, the light warmups and he had to just pull himself out, got the dreaded uh, ice wrap around his his hamstring. And that was that was it. So he was pretty bummed about not being able to compete. But he he looked like a guy. Yeah, we were hoping that there was going to be a Willis Reed moment or something and he'd, you know, tear off the uh, the, the ice and get out there for one-on-ones, but it didn't really happen. He was definitely probably the best-looking recruit there stature-wise, but uh, didn't really get to see any of them, and that's really a, a, an unfortunate 
event for him, you know, coming all the way from Idaho, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, it's, it's Eagle, it's Eagle. And then they had like a Mustangs logo on the shirt. And it's like, so Eagle Mustangs, what was, that's not Eagle rock high. And so we, we did our sleuthing and, and figured you, out you who, did your sleuthing. You were the one who came up with it and figured out, you know, who he was. And yeah, he, he, you know, he's listed, I think it's six, three, two fifteen. He probably is definitely a little bigger than that. Now that was a junior height and weight on max prep. So it's probably closer to about six, four, probably two twenty, two twenty five now. And look like a guy. And you never know with camps like this. This is the thing. You kind of have to keep your eye out and and watch the position. And obviously, you already had Victory Johnson there, who we've seen at many camps. So you wanted to see those guys together side by side and sort of see some comparison. Because, you know, guys sometimes can look the part. But whether they play the part and move the part is an entirely different conversation. And so we definitely wanted to see him in those linebacker drills. And one thing that I would take of note from the camp and just watching the coaches coach is that with linebacker drills, there was a lot of change of direction drills with the linebackers. I, I don't know if you noticed how much was not just cone drills from the standpoint of movement and agility, but actual change of direction. There was a lot of that that went on. And, and of course, with one-on-ones, it's linebackers going against running backs, and there's always going to be a lot of change of direction because it's a pass coverage drill where the linebackers put in the coverage and that's usually not their strength. That's a hard, that's a hard drill for yeah. a linebacker to be able to cover because the running back has all the field to do whatever he wants. And sometimes you get a running back that runs a dinky little chair route, which technically would probably go right through the line of scrimmage. And you see that kind of stuff on seven on seven where these routes don't really exist in real football, 11 on 11. But the linebackers are put in a really strenuous position where they've got to cover these little scat backs in the middle of the field. And so, you know, those drills were kind of preparing those guys for that. And we saw some good things. You know, we saw with Victory Johnson, he ended up going uh, three and one. You know, his first rep was kind of bad. He he got burned by a guy kind of little uh, out route in route. And um, he turned around and, and ended up with an interception in his second rep and had a couple other good reps to follow that. So, you know, I think he, he, he played pretty well. You know, he's a big body. He certainly doesn't have the physique uh, of Carter Davis, that sort of, you know, wow, this guy's really been lifting and doing all that kind of stuff. But that's fine. You know, you, you're talking about high school kids and you're talking about upside and how much they develop and you want to get guys that develop uh, within the college system and are not already com- kind of peaked physically. And so, uh, you know, I liked what I saw from Victory Johnson. I think USC is obviously looking at the linebacker position and, and trying to figure out, you know, how their board is setting up. And I think that, uh, you know, they've got some out-of-state guys that are coming in the next couple of weeks uh, that they want to uh, get an eyeball on and, and really get a read on more than anything. You know, can they make a move here with Tackett Curtis? Can they make a move with Anthony Hill? so on and so forth. And then I think coming out of the summer, uh, they reevaluate sort of where they are on their linebacker board. Uh, but I, I think Richard Johnson is still a guy which um, is definitely being recruited by USC and is definitely a guy that could still end up at USC. And you even made the comment when we were kind of watching and sort of looking at these guys move around that you thought maybe even victory, you know, might be an edge guy down the line. Yeah, he's a big body. I, I He's definitely a guy that right now he's about 230, Mm-hmm. But he's a West Coast kid, and I've seen so much of West Coast guys and people just sort of gloss over and go, yeah, okay, he's, he's not really great at anything. He's not super fast. He's not super 
peeled out of his gourd where he's just this cut, you know, Mr. Olympian type guy that everybody sees coming a mile away. He's not super, you know, he's not super one thing. And you see that sometimes in other parts of the country where these guys are physically already just there, you know, they're already just peaked and these West coast kids catch up in a couple of years. You know, I, I, I don't want to make the analogy, but it's the uh, Clay Matthews versus Brian Cushing sort of thing. That comparison of, you know, once those kids get into college and they get a weight training program and they actually, you know, get that behind them, uh, they make up a lot of ground real quick physically. So I've seen guys like him that are just sort of naturally big guys that have um, a, a good frame to them. Um, you know, Christian Rector type of guys that, you know, they get in the program and I'm not comparing him uh, as a player to Christian Rector. Christian Rector was a defensive lineman through and through, uh, played a little tight end at Loyola, uh, whereas uh, Victor Johnson is, is definitely a linebacker, but a guy that certainly could put on the weight. I could see him putting on easily, you know, 20 pounds, and being a 250-pound linebacker that plays at the line of scrimmage, for sure, for sure. Uh, is he a guy you want to take off the line of scrimmage and play a bunch in space? Eh, probably not. It's probably not his strength. And like I said, I saw some good things from him doing that uh, Saturday, but I don't think that's necessarily where you want to put him. So right now, USC is looking at him, and they're comparing him potentially. And I don't want to speak for USC here, but I'm looking through – you know, their target list and sort of the board and the guys are recruiting linebackers versus those edge rushers, trying to find out who's who, if he's a little more of an edge rusher, you're comparing him to a lot of guys that are already in that 250, 260 range, right? You're already looking at him or potentially guys that are just a bit taller and a bit longer. You know, uh, Davian Davis is a, is a good example of a guy that, you know, he's like six, five, almost six, six two ten from uh, out there in Missouri a guy that USC is recruiting and, and, and likes USC a lot, doesn't have an official visit schedule at USC. He sounds like one of those guys that wants to take some of his officials maybe after the summer into the season. So we'll see how that shakes out with him. But he's one of those guys that's just a long, lean sort of guy. You got to put uh, weight on him as well. But he's a guy that, you know, is top of the board in terms of talent, in terms of film, in terms of, you know, everybody's recruiting him really hard. Because uh, he has that length already, and he sort of is a guy that you just need to put a weight on. So I think there's those guys that you know he's competing with right now that are potentially edge rushers and not just straight linebackers. Even though you know he really played mostly with the linebackers and wasn't a part of any of the defensive line drills, and he wasn't a part of any of uh, the sort of you know edge rusher sort of uh, Corey Foreman type drills that you see in practice with USC. So you know. Again, linebacker, but potentially you see him putting weight on and being more of an edge rusher, but he's just not that guy right now. And they've got some guys that they're recruiting that are those guys right now. Since we're talking sort of about body type and we mentioned how Carter Davis was freakishly, maybe not freakishly, but physically impressive, uh, kind of was like, whoa, look at that right there. And I sort of made the comment that Carter looked like one of the top five uh, swollest prospects I ever seen. I probably misspoke there. I, I probably have to think about it a little more. He probably wouldn't be in my top five, but we got to talking about, and I asked you, and I said, I was going to ask you on this podcast, like the top five, like yoked high school prospects you've ever come across. And we got to talking about this. And like I said, I wanted you to say it on the podcast. I think a lot of people will be interested in what you had to say or who your, your yoked MVPs were. But I was sort of like astonished that, 
uh, Wole Batiku wasn't even on your top five. I think you said maybe he'd be not even be on the top 10, but he would be in your top 10. But I was just sort of mind blown that Batiku wasn't in that top five. Yes, you have covered a lot more kids than I have, but Wole was swole, swole daddy coming out of high school. Swole? Swole. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, Ola Wale would have been top 10. I mean, we were just talking about it off the cuff, and I'm trying to remember guys off the top of my head, and you see a lot of dudes, and like I said, some guys look the part and don't necessarily play the part. Uh, they're combine warriors or what have you, but I mean, for sure, the guy that really stands out the most to me at just the event was Bull Scarborough, who ended up at Alabama. I, he might be in the league now. I haven't really followed his career, but he was a guy that just looked like a Mr. Olympian type dude. You know, we saw him at the first rivals five-star camp that there ever was uh, down in Atlanta. And so it was 97 degrees and 97% humidity. And um, he was just, he's 6'3", 230, 235. And he was playing some running back and he was playing some linebacker and he was just juiced. This dude was just straight chiseled, peeled out of his tree, like all of the more plates, more dates, sort of uh, adjectives that you can use and ways to describe dudes that straight up look like they should be up on a stage oiled up. <laughs> he was really, really defined a guy that big. And uh, and that was just like, wow, you know, OK, this dude, uh, you know, and he, and, he, and he played the part, too. He was a good player, uh, obviously, you know, ended up at Alabama. He was a five star guy coming out of high school. So he was like probably at the top of the list. And there's probably a bunch of guys from the Southeast that could make the list as well that, you know, I just hadn't seen or what have you, because over the years, obviously USC has been less and less successful going into the Southeast and being serious contenders for some of those top players. But I mean, another guy that was from the Southeast, technically he was from Orlando area was Keith Rivers, who was originally from California, army brat, ended up in Florida, but he was a guy that in terms of profile and how he carried himself was one of the more muscular big guys that USC started recruiting and was probably one of the first sort of wow look to him that USC started recruiting with Pete Carroll. Um, so, I mean, he would be on that list. Um, Tyron Smith for USC would be on that list. Tyron Smith was 6'5", 265 and probably had 3% body fat. I mean, he was chiseled he was a big guy and that was sort of the thing is you know <laughs> he, he's all chiseled and so cut from a muscular standpoint can he actually hold the weight can you put on the weight and he had problems putting on weight at USC I think he got to about 275 280 at the most and it really took the NFL and that nutrition program to get him to 300 pounds and now I think he's around 320 so you know he was a guy that was really yoked when it came to just you know muscular and frame uh brandon hancock has to get honorable mention in there brandon hancock was a dude that was definitely yoked up coming out of high school 6'1 to 240 running back slash fullback out of clovis and obviously was a, a a bodybuilder looking type of guy when he was at usc uh, along with guys like brian cushing and clay matthews that group um he sort of led the way there in terms of uh the uh, the podium um, let's see another guy, another guy at USC, I would say that definitely looked apart that kind of came out of nowhere was Kevin Green. You know, he was another six, five, two sixty five pound 
tight end slash defensive end from up there in San Francisco. And San Francisco doesn't really produce as a city a lot of big time division one college football talent. And he was a guy that we ended up seeing at a rivals junior day that we did up there. And we remember he walked in, I think late because he had to go turn his car. He had to repark his car or something. He's had his car in a, in a non-parking zone and he didn't want to get it towed. And he comes walking by me and I was outside for some reason. And and I think uh, it was Jeremy Crabtree who was, recruiting editor at that point was giving the speech inside the gym and i'm like who is this dude like who is this kid so i'm like asking him questions and like what are you what are you doing he's like yeah i kind of play basketball but i just started playing football blah 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 and uh shortly after you know started getting recruited by usc but he he definitely looked the part um so you know there was yeah a few guys that usc's recruited that had been up there um i'm sure there's other guys you know that that looked the part and guys that probably again you know, we're, we're really good looking physique wise, but maybe just weren't that great of football players went and the cracks through the cracks indeed. But thank you for uh, indulging me in that question. I'm sure a lot of uh, USC fans, they love it when you talk about uh, just going back in time and talking about these, these prospects that you covered in older classes. So thank you for indulging me. And, and I'm hope the, uh, the USC fans listening uh, enjoyed that, that little throwback segment. Port Augustine, was he was he yoked out of high school? He's obviously Port Augustine. That's another guy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Port Augustine would definitely be up there. He he might even be top five. Yeah. See, that's, oh. you're literally talking about like probably more than a thousand kids. <laughs> so yeah, Port Augustine again. You know, six five two sixty five and still carrying definition in his frame. You know, that's the thing. It's like you know you get skinny little running backs and cornerbacks and you know they got the eight pack and you're like okay dude but you weigh 160 pounds. You know, when you see a dude that's 260, 265 come out of high school and he's got the six pack and he's got the traps and he's got the pecs, you're like, damn, OK, this guy's uh, taking it seriously, you know. And so, uh, yeah, Gus would be up there, too. He was sort of in that um, Brandon Hancock realm of, uh, you know, podium finishers. And with that, I think that's a good transition out of the cold open from the rising stars, things like that. There will be more camps in June that USC is hosting. You know, they have a middle school camp. They have an O-line, D-line camp on the books. Not sure if there's going to be another sort of open uh, Rising Stars camp like that, but there's obviously always some sort of elite camp. Don't really have dates on that, but I'm sure that there will be one at some point during this month, so stay tuned for that. And, you know, we're obviously going to try our best to be there. But moving into, you know, more of what June is about, Official visits. We have our first official visitor weekend. It's a small, small uh, group, only two people. So it's a duo. It's a, it's a, it's a official visit date between two people. And wait, wait, as- wait, 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 Chris, Chris, I'm getting, I'm getting something. Uh, uh, it sounds like we have some breaking news right now uh, on the podcast. Okay, it hold on, hold here. on. Let me, let me wait. Let me do the. Uh, hold on, I got this. Hold on. No, wait. No, wait. Hold on. I need to do. Where is this? I'm sorry. It's no longer breaking news, Chris. I, uh, from what I understand, it is now being reported by all outlets. <laughs> oh, I got it. There it is. Uh, sounds like uh, we have a Kate Eldridge, the 6'4", 235-pound athlete out of Washington, is going to be officially visiting USC this weekend. This coming from Brandon Huffman. Uh, wow. Correspondent in the Northwest, stating that 
he is going to bump up his official visit to June 10th now. Instead of being a part of the grandiose June 16th through 19th recruiting extravaganza. So we are going to add another one. It's going to be number three. That so what we're is going it? To have it's so an official far. visit threesome. There could, three be more, there could be more on the docket. Stay tuned. Interesting. Okay. Th- that was legitimate breaking news here on the podcast. We had sort of uh, the uh, the fight on emoji, I believe, two weeks ago. And now we got some official visitor news. So Kate Eldridge, throw him in there for the June 10 visitors this weekend. You also have the big one in uh, top 100 linebacker Tackett Curtis out of, uh, out of Louisiana. He was also in that 16 to 19 group and then decided, you know, I want a more sort of intimate uh, uh, experience. We, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but he wants more uh, one-on-one time with the coaches, really wants to to hammer out some questions that he has with his staff and his family. So he's he moved that to the 10th. And then Grant Bucky, the three-star uh, defensive lineman uh, from SoCal, dad is a Stanford legacy. So, you know, some people believe that the Cardinal – are the leader there. I feel like it's when it's always a Stanford legacy, they always end up at Stanford. Uh, so we'll see if USC can maybe uh, change that, that fortune, that, 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 that pattern. He has been to campus multiple times, took a visit during the spring with his uh, father uh, for spring practice. Saw him out there with coach Nua, good relationship with coach Nua. I know uh, Gerard, you talked to him a little bit previewing going to this visit, but those are the three right now. Grant Bucky, Tackett Curtis, and then, as you just heard, breaking news, Kate Eldridge. So a really good group, a really small, talented group, and guys that USC is is uh, firmly involved with each of them. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if USC ended up with all these guys. I know uh, Cade has the crystal ball in for, has the crystal ball in for him already. Uh, Grant Bucky, as I mentioned, USC's been very interested in him. Have to get over that Stanford legacy. And then Tackett Curtis – You know, it's Wisconsin, Ohio State, and USC. USC is trending, I would say, within those top two spots with Ohio State for him. So three really good prospects that USC is really involved with. Yeah, I would say USC is probably top two for each of those players. Yeah, Uh, Grant Bucky just took an official visit to UCLA and really liked UCLA. He's looking at Cal, UCLA, USC, Stanford. It, It seems like the schools that he's serious about are the schools which, you know, academics are not going to be an issue. Obviously, Stanford stands up there uh, a bit higher in terms of academic prestige, but none of those schools are going to go wrong with academics. So I I talked to him a little bit about football. Is that going to be sort of the deal breaker? Is that sort of the thing that, you know, you feel comfortable with what you're going to get out of each of those schools academically? It really becomes more about which school can develop you the best in football. And, you know, I think without putting words into his mouth, I think that's sort of what it comes down to. It comes down to, you know, his comfort level with the coaching staff and certainly that ability to develop more as a football player. He feels good about USC academically. He wants to major in business and obviously USC has a great business school and that sort of closes the gap a bit with Stanford. You know, when you're talking about business, USC's got to get revenge for David Bailey last year. Like that's mm-hmm. the reckoning right now. Like USC lost out on David Bailey, who I think if all things were equal and we were at this point and he was a 2023 recruit, we would feel like he's probably going to end up at USC. But the way things went down, the uncertainty and David Bailey just not really having a whole lot of 
I think understanding of football from a traditional standpoint, you know, David Bailey didn't understand that you could even fire your head coach at college football. <laughs> he didn't know that the coaches would leave that it, he thought the whole assistant staff would just stay there and they would just have a new head coach come in. He really just didn't have an understanding of how things work with college football and didn't have much of an appreciation or understanding of USC from a traditional standpoint and sort of where they might be. And for him, you know, it was Stanford and USC and academically he felt good about both. That really wasn't the issue. It was really about the relationship he had with the coaching staffs and feeling like which is going to give him better football. And he chose Stanford because why he was there when he watched Stanford wipe the floor with USC and he watched USC get crushed. And that is what he knew of USC football. And if you just woke up and you started watching college football last year and all you knew of USC was last season, then you would think there ain't no way USC is going to be better than Stanford next year or the following year, the following year after that, they got a long ways to go. And so, you know, now they're with Grant Bucky and Grant Bucky has a definitely more of an understanding of football traditionally and where USC could be. And he spoke very highly of USC after watching their practice and seeing them up close and seeing what Lincoln Riley and Sean Nua and the program is doing to try to turn it around and get back to the old USC years. And we talked for a while just about a bunch of different things, but, you know, he definitely is excited about this trip and wants to, uh, I think, just get a better feel for the players get a better feel for the coaches, you know, certain questions that he wants to get answered uh, in terms of development, but he understands their, their blueprint for him as a player, as a defensive lineman and his fit. And he likes it. You know, he feels like that's, that's a strength and and that where he would be playing at USC hypothetically, uh, that's where he wants to play in college. And that he feels is going to be where his ceiling is the highest. So they're definitely in it with USC. Um, He's going to take these visits he wants to make a decision before his senior season. Uh, he's not, you know, hundred percent sure if he's going to be able to squeeze in another visit. I did ask him specifically about officially visiting Stanford because he doesn't have that scheduled in his profile. And he kind of didn't really say he was going to officially visit Stanford or that he needed to officially visit Stanford. So we'll see what happens with that. That's going to be interesting. He'd have to squeeze that in at some point um, that visit. He, he does have a date that's open. So, We'll see how that all shakes out. I think it's the 24th where he visits Cal. So that would be the last official visit weekend of June. Um, so we'll see. USC's definitely, you know, lining themselves up to, to try to make a big move with him here. And I think they can. And like you said, Kate Eldridge is already a guy, has a really good relationship with Zach Hansen. Uh, they're recruiting him as a tight end. And he's a guy that we felt like, okay, USC is in a really good position for him. They bump up that official visit. and. Uh, potentially maybe they lock it down and, and get his commitment yeah. and kind of shut down his recruitment at this point. We've seen a couple of players on their first visits turn around and commit. And so, you know, it's one of those things you never know how that's going to go. Sometimes it's just like, wow, this is it for me. You know, I, I, I don't need to see anything else. So we'll see if USC is able to make that sort of impression with Kate Eldridge. Uh, Tackett Curtis is obviously the guy that's the big fish that is going to be the hardest to reel in. Ohio State is there. Wisconsin is in it as well. Everybody thinks it's really Ohio State and then USC and then Wisconsin. But sometimes, you know, people just make assumptions and we don't really know. Uh, But this is going to be the first weekend where if USC was able to get Tackett Curtis, that sort of shows you where the ceiling is kind of going in to the season. You know, he's going to commit probably in July. 
And he's one of those guys that just seems a little beyond USC's grasp right now. But if they were able to get him, you go, whoa, okay, hold on now. You know, the sky's the limit. They're able to get him away from Ohio State. So we'll see how that shakes out and how that goes. It's going to be really um, the first big, okay, you're up, uh, Brian Odom. <laughs> time, to, time to show us what you can do sort of thing, trying to get uh, Tacky Curtis away from Ohio State at this point. I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic about USC's chances with Tacky Curtis than you are historically over the last couple of weeks. I feel like that is you've been more like I think it's going to be Ohio State. I'm a little more optimistic that USC is legitimate and that they could get Tackett out of Louisiana and get him away from the Buckeyes. That staff Odom really likes Odom. You know, Grinch has been involved. They've been sort of really relentless in recruiting him. I know that's not the only thing, but USC does have, you know, this 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 carrot of early playing time, which is important to them. They really like uh, the Los Angeles area, comfortable with that staff. I, I think I, I'm just I'm just optimistic that USC can can win this one with the staff and Lincoln Riley. That, well, that's they're definitely going to have that opportunity to to do what they're not going to be able to do next week. And that's really just focus in, you know, on, on, on him and, and, you know, only having, you know, a few recruits on campus, uh, you definitely give yourself the opportunity itinerary wise to just spend a lot of time just hanging out and talking and vibing. And that's just such a big deal, you know, sometimes with, with not even just the recruit, but the parents, because, you know, his mom and his dad, have to feel comfortable with Brian Odom. They have to feel comfortable yeah. with Lincoln Riley and the support staff and everybody that's going to be around their son that is going to be, you know, thousand odd miles away and staying in Los Angeles, which is certainly not Manny, Louisiana. So you have to have confidence level in the people that he's going to be around that are going to look out for him and be parental figures, you know, yeah. to some extent for him. So they're going to be able to get that this weekend and it, they're, they're going to have their shot. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, hey, this is your shot. It's lined up. You know, now you get to be able to take it. And so we'll see how it goes. You know, I think he's definitely still going to take that Ohio State visit. I, I wouldn't expect certainly a, a commitment from him this weekend. Uh, we're going to see that probably happen in July. I think USC is definitely within striking range, though, for sure. It's just a matter of, you know, closing the deal. Really, it's, it's a matter mm -hmm. of closing the deal, not having Absolutely. that last visit. And the Ohio State visit is going to be a bit different. Um, from what I understand, he's still going to be a part of that big official visit weekend. So it's going to be, you know, more about the momentum. And Ohio State's going to be like, hey, we're getting all these guys, all these top players. Look at that. Don't you want to come play here? The, the talent level is going to be so high, so on and so forth. So that's going to be the angle there uh, for the Buckeyes recruiting him, which is obviously a little different. And, and to interject with this weekend's visitor list, uh, Jordan Hall, the 6'5", 300-pound defensive lineman from Jacksonville, Florida, the four-star, he is not going to officially visit USC this weekend. So he drops out. Uh, he says he still wants to maybe officially visit USC, maybe, quote-unquote, sometime during the season. I think that's a long shot. I mean, there's a potential he probably commits during the summer, uh, maybe goes up to Florida State and takes an official visit, heads up there. Uh, he said he was trying to get up to Michigan, Michigan State, so on and so forth. We'll see. But USC is out of it for him right now uh, for the foreseeable future. Another uh, Florida defensive lineman who was scheduled originally for June 10th to take an official visit was John Walker uh, out of uh, Kissimmee Osceola High School. And he's not going to be officially visiting USC anymore. He had officially visited 
some schools and, and, and had a list out there, but that list has changed. I think he's got like a top six out right now and USC's not even on it. So don't know how you go from having USC scheduled as an official visit to, uh, to not even being in the top six or what have you. So that's uh, where it stands right now with the Florida defensive lineman. So uh, at the moment it's the, those three, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a couple more uh, official visitors this weekend for USC. And you can stay tuned with that at uscfootball.com. Just had to do the quick plug. Uh, before we move on to our, our next topic, I would say the power ranking for guys that would publicly commit this weekend would be number one, Cade, followed by Grant, and then Tackett Curtis. I feel like we'd be on the same page with that. Do you want to just try to give like percentages real quick? I know I know fans would love it if we gave percentages of <laughs> commitments. Uh, they love the crystal balls until the crystal balls go the other way. Um, I would put Cade just going off, you know, getting a more intimate official visit weekend. He already has the crystal ball in there. I know it's it's not a super high. I think it's like five or six or something like that. So it's not like super high. I would put Cade, you know, maybe USC locking it up, getting a commitment a couple days later. I would put it. I would go like 75, 80. That's where I would go. You know, here's the thing. I've never talked to Kate Eldridge. <laughs> That's Brandon Huffman's guy. I don't really know a whole lot about him or his background. I don't really have a read outside of somebody else's read, you know, and I've become yeah. very wary of of putting a lot of stock into that. You know, when you Stop don't stalling. talk to a player <laughs> or a prospect and you don't have a vibe for anybody within his inner circle. And sometimes that doesn't even tell you the whole story. You know, you just try to glean as much information as possible. I don't know. I, I would say maybe, maybe 60%. And that's basing it just most on what Brandon Huffman has told me and sort of his confident level with things. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to be interesting just from the standpoint of how they lay out his position and his relationship with Zach Henson, um, the tight end position and how they're recruiting it. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a big deal in terms of, you know, they still got a couple other guys on the board that they're recruiting as well. Uh, although, you know, we don't know if those guys are going to end up uh, playing football at USC right away either. You know, they've got three other tight end prospects or potential prospects uh, that you're looking at. You know, Nicholas Harbor, we've talked about uh, the 6'5", 230-pound uh, defensive end, tight end, a uh, hybrid, I guess, receiver from the DMV, uh, a guy that, you know, could be a track star and end up running track and not playing football in college. And then you've got Walker Lyons, who's, you know, 6'4", 230 pounds, and uh, probably going to go on a Mormon mission out of high school. So he wouldn't be a guy that would be immediate available for USC. And then Deuce Robinson, who's a 6'5", 225 pound, number one tight end in the nation, five-star who's a big time baseball player that USC is probably leaning for at this point. So, you know, we'll see how it shakes out and, and how that all goes. But yeah, I, I mean, I think certainly as far as power, power rankings, I, I think I would agree with you on that. Certainly it would be uh, Kate Eldridge, I would think. Um, and then Grant Bucky and then Tacka Curtis in terms of expectations. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, even before the, the visit, that's hard to project, you know, you kind of want to get a vibe for, you know, how the visit went and make sure things went well. And Grant Bucky and I kind of laughed because he said, you know, it's an official visit. It's going to go well. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, every, right. every visit that I take even unofficially is, is fun. I mean, it's enjoyable. And I go, yeah, you know, th th 
if it goes bad, if something really went wrong, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, that doesn't really happen on too many official visits. So, you know, when I check in with the fan base and people are asking me on Saturday morning, how are the visits going? It's like, I can tell you right now, they're going well. I don't even need to talk to the recruits. They're going well. They're, you know, it's, and that's what I get. You know, that's the feedback that you're going to get is, yeah, things are going well. Things are going good. You know, uh, it, it's, it's the specifics that you get from the visit, the highlights, and then listening to the recruits kind of talk about the conversations with the coaches. That's really where it, you kind of try to read between the lines as to how things really went, you know, and, and, and how, how good is good for you. And is it enough to potentially sway a player that's on the fence or is it just a visit that was good enough to close the deal, seal the deal? He was already leaning towards USC uh, or is it one of those things that it was actually impactful enough that a recruit that was on campus that we previously thought USC doesn't have a great shot at all of a sudden, they get into contention with him. A guy like, you know, Devon Campbell last year, who we just didn't think USC was going to be a big factor in his recruitment. And after that official visit and his mom just uh, talking about USC and the relationship with the coaches and um, the, the academics, I mean, it went from, you know, zero to 60 with uh, real quickly for him and his recruitment. And so you do have those those sort of weekends and you do have those sort of recruits where, you know, I talk, I, I talk about it being like a traction visit, you know, USC is sort of on the outside looking in, but you get that particular prospect on campus and you're able to wow him enough and connect with the family enough that all of a sudden now you're in range. And, and even if that prospect commits to another school over the summer, you have a good season. There's always that potential that you could get them out on an unofficial visit or the school that they commit to falls flat, flat on their face, or there's a coaching change or whatever, you're still there. You're hanging around and you're able to be able to be within striking distance and get a flip at the end of the year. And that's become a big deal in recruiting. That's become something that a lot of the schools that have momentum at the end of the year, they take advantage of. So it's not all about getting commits here at the end of the year. And we kind of talked about that a little bit in the war room. You know, uh, I'm not going to rehash that too much obviously that's a premium uh, feature that we do but talked a little bit about you know the the june 16th through 19th weekend and, and and how it's a mega weekend and it's very important to usc but in terms of stars it's not quite as big as we kind of assumed you know when you start to actually look at the numbers and where usc would be with such and such commitments coming away from that weekend coming into September away from the summer and you say, okay, USC gets 17, 18 commits going into September. They're not completely there yet, right? They're not in the promised land yet. This is not going to be the number one class in the nation with a reasonable, realistic uh, commit group coming out of uh, the summer. Now, you know, obviously guys could commit again, that we're not necessarily um, projecting or, or, or expecting to commit and, and it could be a higher ranking, but there's definitely going to still be big fish out there that USC has to land in order to push this class into that top five, top three sort of rarefied air. Sorry, guys, listening. I tried to I tried to get you that that hurricane forecast, but it just wasn't just wasn't happening. He just went on this rant, uh, but he did get a 60 out of him for Kate Eldridge. I'm going to go 40 for Grant and then 15 for Tackett. So with that, we're done talking about June 10th visitors. And then we have to keep our eyes continued on the big one, 16 through 19. And it kind of wraps up nicely with a huge addition 
who also recently gave a big update in his recruitment. That would be Francis Malioga, the five-star offensive tackle at IMG Academy, uh, SoCal uh, native at one point, or native. He lived in SoCal for a little bit. Uh, he recently released his uh, his top six. USC was part of that, and he announced that he will be taking his official visit on that loaded weekend, 16th through 19th. Arguably, Gerard, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, but arguably USC's number one recruit in the 2023 class. So big weekend, just got even bigger. Just when you thought it couldn't get any bigger, it gets bigger. And here we are, Francis Malioga. And I know some people have been clamoring for us to talk about him. There's one guy on Twitter who just will not stop asking about it, even though he spells Francis's last name wrong. A lot of them do. It's Maui Goa, Maui Yoga. So Gerard, getting five-star Francis on campus June 16th, the right move? Or is it the right move to, to have him with this, uh, this big group and not a more intimate group? I mean, that's obviously we talked about that in the past. There's just two lines of thinking strategy-wise. USC is just going to get them in with the guys that they feel like they have a good shot at and they could, you know, use that momentum and get this group together as, you know, the group that sort of is the foundation of the 2023 class. So that's the angle that they're taking. We'll see if it works. It's a murderer's row (laughs) for – in terms of uh, the other schools that he's visiting, and he's going to try to squeeze in five official visits during the month. So it's going to be bang, bang, bang. And uh, right now there's a little bit of feeling like maybe Alabama has the momentum. And I think Alabama is his last official visit, I believe. Or no, Tennessee, I think, is his last official visit. And actually there was some talk like Tennessee had some momentum after he took an unofficial visit there. You know, he's got some connections to Nico Aymaileva, the committed quarterback recruit that's uh, from Long Beach area here in Southern California that uh, supposedly got a big NIL deal from Tennessee. So a lot of people very wary of the NIL angle when it comes to Francis Maragoa as well. So there's definitely going to be a lot of recruiting for him. Uh, he is going out to Hawaii as well. Um, he's got some connections out in Hawaii, which... I think it's not a bad thing for USC for him to be on the West Coast and being on the West Coast, but not being at Oregon is a right, very good right. thing for USC. So yeah, USC that 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 top six is Alabama, Florida, Hawaii, USC, Miami, and Tennessee. So I know a lot of fans, you know, had a had a sigh of relief not seeing Oregon in that row, especially when it comes to a big time offensive lineman that USC has struggled to beat out the Ducks for. Yeah, and so that's going to be a lot of like again recruiting for him we'll see if he makes it through 05 <laughs> you know it's a it's one of those things where USC would love to uh just wrap him up that weekend I I don't know if that's really a realistic expectation uh but nevertheless yeah it makes that weekend even bigger and certainly you know before crunching the numbers on that weekend and sort of the realistic uh potential commits that they could get from that weekend and we talked about that in the last podcast sort of guys that we thought were um, potential uh, commits from that weekend, you know, not reaching too far uh, realistic uh, expectations because, you know, you, when you've got 26 guys, 27 guys that are going to be on campus, normally you say, well, if you get half of those guys to commit, that's a successful weekend. 
Well, to get half of those guys, USC is up around that, you know, 12 to 15 range now of uh, potential commitments. So we kind of went through that list of guys that we thought, okay, what's, what's kind of a realistic baseline for what USC could get from that weekend? And, and what would that look like? Well, when you crunch the numbers, you're like, okay, that's going to get them into the top 10, maybe, because they're top 10 right now. But at the end of the year, you have to sort of know that everybody's going to have more commits. And what's that number of a top five class? And I believe off the top of my head, that's in that 290 range. So USC with 18 commits, uh, not including Francis Monagoa, was something around 262, 264. So you're going to need some bigger fish. And he's one of those big fish that's added to the weekend that if you can get that, then all of a sudden you surge because those five stars mean a lot in the rankings. They mean a lot because USC right now has, I think what, seven commitments and they're top 10 and they're a top mm-hmm. 10 because they've got those three, five stars. Uh, although I think uh, Makai Lemon technically dropped to a four star now in the composite rankings, uh, but he's still in that five star range for 24 seven is the number one athlete in the nation. So yeah, it, uh, it's one of those things that you need the big guys at the top of the class to be able to lead the class and him added to that weekend is, is going to be a very big deal. And USC is going to try to close it out now. Uh, You know, they have to try to make it happen. And he is 100% one of the top guys in this class. When it comes to like the 10 of Troy that we do in terms of need, in terms of buzz, in terms of uh, overall talent, he might be number one on the board for USC. So that is going to be, a huge weekend that just got huger. <laughs> a, a couple points. I think you need to do. I, when are we? When's the next ten of Troy coming out? When's the, we, the debut? Have, I have not done a ten yeah. of Troy uh, edition. Usually we do it kind of like in May or something to kind of line up what's going on. Uh, we just haven't been able to get around to it. But um, yeah, we, we. I don't know what's going to happen this month because there's going to be a lot to cover. Um, but, you know, at some point, probably, you know, in September coming in, man, probably August, maybe even we'll, we'll have one just sort of lining up. OK, this is where USC sits right now with commitments and this is what's left on the board. And, you know, we tend to not include recruits that are committed, uh, even other schools. But that may change because you're going to have a lot of guys are going to want to commit during the summer. It's just become a trend now. And that's why you see so many official visits during the summer. I mean, you saw Clemson go from not having official visits during the summer to having 30 this past weekend. Like that's you. So you're seeing the change and the trends and how things are going. So uh, you have to make a big move during the summer. You have to try to get as much as that class done during the summer as you can. And uh, so we'll see, you know, where USC sits coming out of the summer. They, they have a couple of offensive, a couple other offensive linemen that are going to be visiting as well, that are also, you know, going to be uh, potentially big gets. Uh, Micah Ben Uelos, who is from Washington, who's probably a center prospect, 6'3", 285. He's going to be coming in on June 16th as well. Alani Noah, who's another guy that we've marked as being a, a potential possible commitment for USC. Uh, they're going to get him on campus uh, that weekend as well. So there's going to be a, a good group. And, and there'll be some guys that potentially could commit, you know, this weekend to other schools that are not on the official visit uh, or, or are on the official visit docket for the 16th, 19th. So, you know, we have to kind of beware of that too. You know, we, we've already seen some commits to other schools and we don't know if those guys are going to still 
uh, take their visits? Probably not that, you know, if you commit, it's kind of hard to turn around during the summer and uh, end up, uh, you know, officially visiting another school the next week. That's not usually a good look. Um, that's usually probably going to happen. Like I said, more during the season, you start to see some momentum there. USC is playing in some big games and, uh, you know, they're, they're within striking range of being, uh, in the conference title and potentially maybe in the college football playoff, if they're in that conversation, you're going to see a lot of guys want to take unofficial visits to games at USC. Just swinging it back to specifically Francis, because I did want to make a point in terms of, obviously this, this visit is important. Obviously this visit is huge on an already huge weekend, but this will be USC's best shot at Francis. You know, we took an unofficial visit in February that went really well. But now this is this is go time. This is this is when it really matters. They really got to pull out all the stops for him. And I would say, you know, looking at that top six, I know, you know, the word is, you know, Alabama is sort of maybe trending in terms of that leader. I would still say USC is in the top three of that that top six that you're looking at uh, for him. And there was real smoke in the in the winter and sort of going into the spring that. Francis was homesick. You know, he he was missing the West Coast. He was missing Southern California and sort of his family. You know, he'd been out there in Florida for, what, close to two years at that point. There was, there was real smoke about that, things I was hearing. And so I, I would have to think, you know, USC is really going to hit on coming back home for this trip. I think that'll be a, a, a big a big theme for them this weekend, you know, getting his parents with them. You know, hitting, you know, being closer to Hawaii, you know, even though, you know, he's already taking a visit there, as you mentioned, just, you know, being back on the West Coast, getting those those uh, family connections back going, you know, just getting closer to home. I think that's going to be the real uh, big theme for them. And sort of Sean Nua, obviously, they have that that really good connection with, you know, them being from the same uh, uh, town in American Samoa. And, you know, they already have a really good relationship. This is going to be a chance for them to really to really push that further on this trip and with, with, with coach Henson as well, get, get that one going even stronger. And you have this opportunity to really sell Francis as being sort of the cornerstone for that offensive line moving forward. You know, they didn't obviously, they obviously didn't get Josh Connerly. You know, we talked about how maybe that would be, you know, an issue rec- recruiting a top end guy like Francis when you just landed the number one tackle in the 2022 class. We don't, they don't have to worry about that. They can now sell. It's like, we need you. You're going to be our guy. You know, Alabama, they obviously have five of those guys already walking on campus, it seems like. But Francis, for them, it would be like, you got, you were the, the, the guy who can turn this around. You got, you're the one who can spark this offensive line class and get USC back to being USC in the trenches. And I think those are kind of the two things they're going to want to hit on for Francis in this trip, coming back home and being that O-line guy being sort of the guy to be a resurgence for offensive linemen in Southern California at USC. Yeah, 100%. I do think the home factor is an interesting factor and, and you wouldn't think it is because he's an IMG Florida. He's across the country. He decided to make that move. You would think, distance from home is is not a thing and you would say well which home even because he was only in southern california for a limited amount of time uh originally from samoa and i believe he spent time in australia as well Mm -hmm. so he's been around he's very well traveled 
but sometimes, you know, that's sort of what kind of opens your eyes up to, you know, where you want to be actually. Yeah, yeah. And so I do get that sense that, you know, again, he's got his brother and his sister that are living in Hawaii. Uh, he's going to go ho- to Hawaii on that visit. Um, when is that visit actually adjacent to USC? Do you have the dates in front of you? Let's see, you know, if you could like stall for like 20 seconds, well, just go, just go, on, just go on a rant, just go on a rant. <laughs> well, here's my, my thinking about that is that that's, that's a flight, you know, from, from anywhere to Hawaii. I mean, it's a, it's a flight from California to Hawaii. Uh, it's a hell of a flight from, you know, the Southeast to Hawaii. And so there's going to be some, some tired eyes and, you know, the, the succession of his visits and how they're lined up is going to play a little bit of a part in this. And, you know, him being in LA and, and obviously having a lot of friends here, I don't know if he still has any family actually in Southern California, but he does have family in Hawaii and he is very close with Sean Nua. And I think Sean Nua is close with his family. So that's, that's definitely a factor. And we're going to see, if the other stuff um, is sold well enough to be able to sway him, because, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, with Bryce Young and with um, other players where you say, you know, Hey, look, you go to USC, you're the next guy in line. Well, that doesn't necessarily matter if you feel like the football product and the development is not there. So you got to be able to sell that and you've got to be able to sell that as a winning formula. And again, we talk about faith. Some of these official visitors, they're just going to have to commit on faith that this is going to get turned around, that Lincoln Riley has the formula. He did it at Oklahoma. He's going to be able to do it at USC. And from that better brand of football, you're not only going to win, but it goes hand in hand that those players are going to get better exposure. They're going to get better coaching and therefore are going to be better developed and ready to go to the NFL because that is a huge factor in every one of these five-star, high four-star players' minds. You know, there's other factors, which sometimes, you know, can be uh, the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, but the biggest factor tends to be NFL development. So USC has to be able to have that. But I think with Francis Maloa, there's definitely uh, something to be said about uh, him being back on the West Coast and just being closer from a flight standpoint to his family, which I'm sure he's missing at this point throughout his whole high school career. Mm-hmm. He's you know been away from his family. So let's I'll set the stage here with these visits. Hawaii is actually not getting an official. They got an unofficial earlier this week. And the schedule will be Alabama will go first June 10th through, 11, June 10th through the 12th. Florida will be getting June 14th through 16th. USC gets that. He'll be in a day late, technically, for that 16th through 19th. He'll be 17th through 19th for USC. Then Miami gets June 20 to 22nd. And then Tennessee gets the final one at June 23rd to the 25th. So a lot of flying for, for Big Francis. I hope he gets a I hope he gets an aisle seat, is all I'm saying. Yeah, a lot of flying, but not flying all the way from Hawaii to the southeast, which that was what I was questioning. That would have been interesting to see how that went he's just going to spend a lot of time in the southeast so you're going to have all those sec schools climbing over each other and if you're usc you hope it's crabs in a bucket you know you just hope that 
Alabama, uh, you know, is going to be negatively recruiting against Tennessee, is going to be negatively recruiting against Florida, is going to be negatively recruiting against Alabama, and, uh, you know, Miami trying to negatively recruit against all of them because you know how that goes. So, yeah, you're hoping that, you know, you sort of stay above the fray if you're USC. And, uh, you know, he's going to be – the one thing is USC comes off of like a back-to-back weekend there. Uh, where he's, yeah, I mean, he's literally, it sounds like he's going to be flying from Gainesville out to Southern California, which is, you know, not the best. Uh, you kind of would like to see, you know, like him get some time back home uh, or at least back in Braden, Florida. Uh, I don't know if he's, um, you know, actually flying in and out of Braden, Florida. He could be, you know, flying in and out of, uh, you know, Samoa for, for all I know. I, I'm not really necessarily sure uh, if he's on campus at IMG Academy uh, during this whole process, but uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. You know, uh, Alabama, um, people feel like might be the leader. And so they're going to get first shot at him this weekend. So we'll see how that sets the stage. And, you know, then he's going to get uh, Florida. So USC's kind of smack dab in the middle of that. Um, so that's interesting. USC's also going to have Lucas Simmons, the other Florida um, offensive tackle that's going to be uh, in Southern California via uh, another country. Um, outside of uh, the the mainland, uh, he's originally from Sweden. So um, you're going to have a, 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 an offensive line group there. It's not just going to be Francis. It's going to be a group. And so we'll see how that meshes. We'll see how that overlaps. Again, some of these guys are going to be coming in a little early on the Thursday. And, you know, they may be kind of on their way out or a different point in the itinerary than the guys that are coming in the 17th. So that'll be sort of interesting to see how that's all organized and, you know, is it going to be two ships passing in the night, two different groups of recruits or, you know, what have you, we'll see, but you know, there's definitely going to be guys that are going to be leaving early Sunday and there'll be guys that are probably not going to leave until maybe early Monday. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out in terms of, you know, uh, trying to get as much time with each recruit and, and certainly, uh, we know USC is going to try to really work as much as they can to get Francis locked in because, like you said, uh, if there was a 10 of Troy, he probably would be at the top of the list. And there, locked it in. Gerard said, Francis Mario, number one, lock it in, folks. The hurricane has spoken. And with that, we can move on to our final kind of topics here. Really wanted to take a, a second to go back to the crystal ball stock market and talk about kind of two linemen that, you know, USC had on their radar. You know, we've talked about multiple times on this show, but are looking or trending elsewhere. And in one case, have already committed somewhere, that being Amos Talalele. He committed to Cal coming off his official visit. He was supposed to uh, take three official visits in June, one being to USC, but he went and pulled the trigger on Cal. And then Elijah Page, specifically with the stock market, Notre Dame, Right now, it's just been trending very, very hot in the crystal balls for Elijah Page, three-star offensive tackle out of Arizona, uh, Pinnacle High School. Uh, uh, USC was one of his first offers when uh, Lincoln Riley came aboard. Josh Henson quickly reached out, gave him an offer, and it was big for him. If you listen to the show, you know I'm a big Elijah Page guy, six foot six, 290-pound tackle out there on the West Coast, trending to the Fighting Irish. And, you know, that's two linemen that, you know, I think we were kind of pegging for USC if they were able to get them on campus for visits and kind of sell them. 
now USC sort of on the outside, obviously looking in for, for these guys now. Yeah, what day is uh, this being recorded and what day is it going up? <laughs> All going up today. Uh, yeah, not looking good for Eliza Page. We'll say that. And uh, definitely guys that you thought in terms of bodies and, you know, numbers for offensive linemen. Uh, and Amos Telelele, you know, is actually ranked as a defensive tackle. Uh, those are guys that we thought could definitely end up at USC and would bolster the numbers in terms of the committee class coming out of the summer and just having, you know, some more numbers on the offensive line, which, you know, they need some numbers on the offensive line. USC kind of getting to the point where they got to hit on the guys they really want, <laughs> or it's going to be, all right, we've got to just kind of, um, you know, circle back and, and continue to recruit some of these guys that may have, you know, already committed to other schools by the time uh, we were going to bring them in on a visit or what have you, which is not the worst thing in the world, because again, you know, sometime during the season, uh, you know, let's say Elijah Page goes and commits to Notre Dame, you still have that official visit at some point. And USC is going to play Notre Dame at home at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So not the end of the world with guys committing to other schools. Um, certainly players uh, that, um, you know, are, are a little lower hanging fruit in terms of, you know, how hard they're going to be recruited by other schools. Uh, but I think at this point, yeah, it's kind of coming up to where USC, you know, these are not necessarily the guys at the top of the board, but they are guys that you felt like are within reach and are, you know, gettable, I guess, for USC, you know, realistic uh, type prospects. And those guys are, you know, coming off the board left and right. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, we don't expect all the top guys to just commit, you know, the, the week that they take their official visits to USC, but you just never know either. You know, you never know like, Hey, you know, I've taken, you know, two official visits already. I'm ready to shut it down. And, you know, they, they, they commit in subsequent weeks. And certainly uh, there's a lot of momentum that can come from that. So, you know, that's from a strategy standpoint, even USC has to get a read for, okay, you know, can we get some commitments out of this weekend? How do we want to line those up so we can try to build momentum so we can maybe get other guys committed just because other guys are committing? You know, that's the whole thing about a big recruiting weekend like that is trying to create momentum, trying to sort of show the groundwork for this is what the class is going to look like. Don't you want to play with these guys? You know, don't you want to play with Malachi Nelson? Don't you want to play with Makai Lemon, Zach Branch? We've got the offense that could be the greatest offense in college football history here. You know, that's how you're going to sell it if you're Lincoln Riley. Like we have the potential and the talent here that this offense could be amazing. Just look to the right and left of you. This is the team that you're going to be playing on. And you know that these guys next to you are good players and you're a good player. And so let's go get it. Um, so we'll see if that's, you know, able to happen, if, if USC is able to, to get some of these guys. Because, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Amos Telele commits on his first official visit, I believe. So it's like, hey, you yeah. know, first time, you know, uh, you just see a school officially. It's like, hey, I, I want to go there. That's a guy that obviously if USC still wants, he could still probably recruit and still work on him. You know, at some point during the year, I, I don't think he'll be at USC officially, but, you know, I never say never either, especially in recruiting these days. I believe Amos is actually from the Bay Area, so he has sort of ties to that NorCal region and he will be a nose guard for the Bears. So, yeah, it, it was a little surprising to see him, you know, 
go ahead and make that commitment with already two other visits lined up. But, you know, that's how that's how it goes in recruiting. As you said, anything can really happen. And so we'll we'll have to to monitor, you know, with Elijah Page and his upcoming official visits and especially with the Notre Dame trending for him. So we'll probably be talking about him probably by next week. We'll, we'll have probably an update on that. But moving forward, recruiting, recruiting event. Before we get into our listener questions, we have a big passing tournament uh, this weekend out in Vegas, the Overtime 7 or the OT7 passing event. Uh, 247 will be heavily on the ground at there, and there will be teams from all over the country coming in, some teams I have never heard of with some interesting names. But, you know, a lot of – I believe all of – most of USC's 2024 class will be there playing for, for some teams. Uh, USC's 2024 uh, target at QB, DJ Lagway, will be leading Fast Houston. Obviously, their 2023 commit at quarterback Malachi Nelson. He will be leading uh, – Jar- What's the the team I'm blanking on their name? South Florida Express. He there you McCullin go. South will... Florida Express, the team that came out earlier this uh, this spring, summer, whatever, and they competed with them as well. He'll be leading that team again. So a really stacked field looking at it. And I don't want to take too much time with this, but just wanted to uh, let the fans know that there will be a lot of, lot of prospects that USC is involved with and commits out here on the West Coast in Vegas. Uh, playing under the lights. It will be a nighttime tournament. God, I hope it'll be under the lights because <laughs> Vegas is supposed to be 110, 112 uh, this weekend. So, you know, it'll, it'll probably be a, a, a nice, cozy 102 or three uh, at uh, something the light, something yeah. light. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, five, five thirty at night, um, it's still pretty warm in the desert. So, That'll be interesting. Um, the AstroTurf field will be cooking and melting shoes accordingly. But, um, yeah, there's going to be a, a good group of players there. And uh, we'll see how that, you know, shakes out. Obviously, Malachi Nelson playing a game with the, the South Florida Express. Saw him play with Pylon. Uh, the South Florida Express, in terms of uh, targets, is sort of whittling down a bit for USC. You know, yeah. we were there watching them earlier in the spring. In March, you know, there's a lot of guys that were talking up USC. They took their unofficial visit to USC. They were loving up USC. And at this point, there's really only Brandon Enos that's, um, you know, really seriously looking at USC. So we'll see how that team plays. We'll see, you know, what the rotation is for Malachi Nelson because he was rotating with another quarterback for South Florida Express. Uh, you know, you keep Malachi Nelson in there, you're going to probably have a better chance of winning the tournament. But there's, yeah, guys scattered all over the place on different teams. Like you said, teams we've never heard of. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. We'll see who actually shows up. I think there's going to be probably a lot of guys that dip out that end up going on official visits that weekend, or they just weren't able to make it or what have you. There's, you know, team functions going on right now in summer as well. And so, uh, we'll see if, uh, everybody makes it out there to Vegas, uh, for uh, a big passing tournament. So, um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But the other thing on the flip side, it will be a chance for Malachi Nelson with all these other prospects around him to sort of, you know, get in the ear of guys that USC is recruiting, be able to recruit a little bit. Makai Lemon is also going to be on that South Florida team or he's listed to be. So a couple of USC recruits recruit or commits sorry, in that 2022 class can get some face time with guys that are out of state coming to town for for this showdown. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, we talked a little bit about Malachi Nelson as a recruiter in the war room, and I think 
some of what I wrote was maybe misinterpreted to some extent. People thought that I was saying that he wasn't recruiting for USC and that not the case. He's definitely recruiting for USC, but Malachi is just not that guy that wants to get into people's ears and talk about USC that are not really that interested in USC, you know? And I think in the context of Brandon Enos, if Brandon Enos is, is feeling Ohio state and leaning towards Ohio state, then that is what it is. You know, Malachi Nelson's not going to say, well, Hey, you know, you shouldn't go to Ohio state because of X, Y, Z. He's not trying to be a persuasive influence in the recruiting process. You know, he's a guy that has his reasons for going to USC. And if you're interested in USC, he's going to tell you all about him and talk about him and talk about why USC is a great choice. But yeah, I talked to Akeem Williams and, and Brandon Enos and some of these guys and, and, you know, Malachi Nelson isn't losing any friends over the recruiting process. You know, he's not going to be like butting heads saying, Hey man, you're making a mistake by looking at Ohio state. You know, he's just not that type of, like I said, persuasive factor in the recruiting process. You know, the USC coaching staff has to do their job and they have to recruit hard. And Malachi is a supplement to that and will reinforce a lot of the things uh, that USC is trying to get across uh, but I don't see him being like the Matt Barkley type who Matt would just go out there and call guys randomly and just be a guy that would just, he would pound the ground uh, as a recruiter. And if you said, ah, you know, I don't know about USC. I, I kind of like uh, Alabama. You'd be like, dude, you're going to go to Alabama and it's, it's so hot. And you're like, come on, man, it's LA. Like he was that type of guy that he didn't care. He would be persuasive and he would try to uh, change the trajectory of where recruit was headed. Um, I think Malachi is a lot more laid back, a lot more chill. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, not really trying to be that guy that is, um, it, it, you know, I, I guess you, you can be a little bit of annoying, you know, you can be a salesman and kind of be in guys ears and they're just like, oh, okay, you know, I, I, yeah, you're the USC guy, you're the USC commit. We know, you know, sort of thing. You know, I, I've seen that, behind the scenes, you know, at Army All-American games and um, camp sometimes. And uh, and so, you know, you can sort of push people away uh, being that guy as well. So um, that's going to be an event where, you know, he'll be out there and he'll be chatting up guys. And and I'm sure, um, you know, he and Brandon will be hanging out and um, there'll be potentially some guys that, you know, maybe have interest in USC, which USC hasn't been talking a lot with. Uh, that could say, oh, yeah, you're committed to USC. Hey, man, yeah, I I've been, you know, looking to maybe visit USC. I, I, I wanted to get out to USC. And um, then the coaching staff has to sort of gauge that and and get a read on, okay, is this guy, you know, really serious or does he just want to visit USC because, you know, it's L.A. and uh, we're spinning our wheels uh, with that type of recruit. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes up that weekend, but USC will be represented from a commit standpoint, interestingly enough, I didn't see Zach branch on any of those teams and he's actually from Vegas. So maybe he just knows better. Maybe he realizes guys is going to be 105. Uh, you all are crazy. Like, what are you guys doing? Run. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you don't, you don't really want to stand uh, even uh, under the stars in Vegas uh, at, at that temperatures, but um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully there's a lot of uh, Gatorade, Powerade, water tents and, you know, everybody's got to stay hydrated. You don't want to mess around with that type of heat. Some of these guys from the South don't even realize they they're, they're used to that heat, but they're used to the humidity. When you get those arid conditions, you, you don't sweat as much yeah. because that sweat is evaporating and it's coming right off your body. And then you're sweating more and you just don't realize it because it's so damn hot. It's so damn dry. That's when you get heat stroke.
Absolutely. So everyone that's going out there, 247, like I said, will be on the ground. So hopefully everyone is uh, uh, sunscreened up, hydrated up, and get yourself one of those uh, those hats that I purchased going into this uh, spring season, and it's been one of the best investments. I'm covered head to toe. So Yeah, the boonie hats are awesome. Uh, I've, yeah. I've, I've indulged in boonie hats here and there as well. And yeah, man, just like when you hit a bunch of events, um, and you know, I got sunburned at the Clarkson quarterback retreat and I, I told I told Chris it's so it was overcast almost to the point where it was drizzling and I said dude this is the worst time like I got sunburned so bad once at a Nike camp at San Diego State and we didn't see the sun the whole damn day and it actually I think the ultraviolet rays are intensified by the cloud cover and it yeah I got sunburned at the uh, at the Clarkson event when I knew better at least I put a hat on but my face got it and so yeah you got to be uh I mean, that's, it's an obvious thing when you're going to Vegas, right. You know, and it'll be at night. So, you know, the sun burn probably isn't going to be quite the biggest issue. It's just one of those things where people are like, it's nighttime and you know, it's, it's a dry heat and you're like, yeah, right. Well, good luck with that. You know, it's 105 still. Okay. Those are all our topics. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and knock out some listener questions and then wrap this podcast up. Sound good, Gerard? Sounds perfect. Okay, we'll be right back after this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hurricane, how's it going? How was the break? It was fantastic. I was walking out, learning Cantonese this week. Fantastic. There we go. That I guess that's going to be the running joke now about learning languages. Uh, that's good. That's cool. I, I'm always for bits, so I'm glad that that bit is uh, alive and well and hope to see it blossom as we move forward. Let's jump into some questions. We do got a pretty good handful of questions, so... Let's see, where do I want to start? Uh, this comes from our friend of the podcast, Terrence House, the unofficial co-host of In the House, which is a podcast that doesn't exist, but I think should, based off his last name. But this is for the pod. What are your thoughts on Josh Henson and Sean Nua as recruiters? Things seem to be a little, a little bit slower in the trenches on the recruiting front. And just curious what the two Latin brothers think about the current situation and these coaches. What do you think, Latin brother? We, we shall see, you know, I mean, this, this it's this summer, we'll kind of get a gauge as to, you know, what USC is able to do and what they aren't able to do. You know, if they come away with, you know, like one offensive line commit and you're like, okay, kind of need more numbers than that, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. I don't want to jump the shark and 
start to make predictions on it's going to be amazing. Oh, they're going to get everybody or oh, you know, I'm, you know, just because they don't have commits already uh, that, you know, we're going to be pessimistic about their potential uh, with these weekends. You know, we've talked about the guys like Lucas Simmons and Francis Mayoga and how big uh, those players are going to be for USC to be able to get that anchor at left tackle. Um, to be able to get some guys that are are, are good, solid contributors. Um, you've got on the offensive line, have to put together a team within the team in the recruiting class. And so that's what Josh Henson is going to do. You made a good observation, I think, that is worth noting about the Rising Stars camp when it came to Josh Henson. Why don't you talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, this is a good question within the context of him and him recruiting. Yeah, I mean, it was it was sort of a joke that turned into sort of based on reality in terms of like every time I looked over at Josh Henson, because all the coaches were obviously there. Some were coming at different times. But every time I looked over at Josh Henson, he was like talking to a different parent or a different recruit, mainly parents. He was up in the stands. Uh, he He's just a guy who talks to people. And obviously that's a a good trait to have as a recruiter. And for both of those guys, I've heard that they are really good, you know, people, people, what, what am I saying? People person, uh, people, but they're yeah, multiple people of them. person. Yeah. They're good people, but I'm saying for both of them. So do I have to make it, <laughs> they're whatever, good people, people. they're good people, people. So that is obviously good traits. And all the kids that I've talked to specifically about Nua come away really impressed with him in terms of, you know, he's really laid back, but you can tell he's serious, but he's funny too. Uh, and you could just tell that uh, every I feel like every defensive line coach or offensive line coach is like easily one of the funniest people on a team. That's just from my experience. But those guys are personable. Like I said, with Coach Henson, every time I looked over, he was chatting up somebody's parents. So I think they're 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 good with their relationships. I've heard from, you know, other teams that obviously other reporters that covered them, that they're they're good recruiters. And I think just with the, the trench guys. I just think each of them just needs like one domino to fall. It's like a it's like a kid who gets his first big power five offer. Once you get that first one, everyone starts looking and then all the others follow. So I think they just need, they each just need one of those guys to, to come on board and then things are going to start rolling for them. So that's how I feel about them. I, I'm not I wouldn't I personally am not worried. And I don't and I know USC fans are antsy about those two positions just because. USC has struggled with those positions, but I think it's going to be fine. That's just my opinion. I think it's going to be fine. They're personable guys. They they have recruiting chops. They've grown as recruiters at their 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 stops. So I think. And remember, Henson is from the Texas A&M. You know, they recruit. They have to recruit in the SEC. So I think I think he knows what he's doing in terms of that. They're just they they're going after some top guys and they have some stiff competition. So things going to take a little bit longer. You know, they're not recruiting low-level three-star guys. They're going after top-end guys. Yeah, I agree. Moving on, uh, this one comes from YP. This one was sent to me on a DM on Twitter. And again, if you want to... Uh, my DMs are open. You can hit me up with questions. Gerard, they're under lock and key. You, you'll never get you'll never get into that those DMs. Uh, can you please address the state of our collective? I see schools we directly compete with that have their own, such as Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon, and many others. Even at the recent SEC spring meeting, they had seminars on the topic. Why does it seem we have been so reluctant to jump into this space, and who has been responsible for holding it up? Also, I have previously expressed my concern about our O-line and D-line coaches in regard to recruiting. It does not seem they have gotten much better. 
How can we improve in this area, especially if there is no collective on the horizon? Thank you. Well, we already touched on literally just uh, Nua and Henson. Like I said, a little bit slower, but I don't think you need to be that worried right now. And in terms of the collective, USC does not have a collective. Will they have one in the future? Maybe, but that doesn't seem to be on the horizon, at least for anything that I've heard. And I couldn't really tell you what the holdup is in terms of a, a collective. I don't know if you have any thoughts on collective because uh, you played you played Jimbo, who Jimbo did not seem to know what a collective is. So I think you're you're a good one to answer this. Yeah, I know as much about collectives as Jimbo, apparently. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about collectives. Uh, I don't cover collectives. I cover right. the recruiting process. And I understand that that is, in for some schools, part of the NIL process. But to be perfectly honest with you, I think it runs into conflicts with the NCAA. The NCAA has already made some statements about collectives and their association with the schools and schools arranging recruits to uh, communicate with people uh, within the collective if they're boosters and they have some type of connection to the school. So there's a lot of sort of obstacles there, um, I think, from uh, a legality standpoint that you know, getting into it and talking about it. I think everybody's just kind of ambiguous about what the collective is and what it does and how involved it is. It is it in actual recruiting um, because we're talking about recruiting. We're not talking about players already on the roster. And that tends to be right now where USC's focus in terms of NIL seems to be, even though NIL is legal for high school players in Southern California and California in general, I think USC has been using NIL the way that it's been intended to be used is in terms of brand building and having actual companies that want to endorse athletes be involved with name, image, and likeness. And so from that standpoint, when you have known commodities like Caleb Williams, who already played his freshman year at Oklahoma, Jordan Addison, who's a Blitnikoff winner, Travis Dye, Mario Williams. These are known commodities and legitimate companies are more comfortable with investing their money in those commodities. Legit companies are not as comfortable investing a bunch of money in a high school recruit that may or may not actually ever play at a particular college. And so the collective is more concerned about trying to entice and induce particular recruits to go to certain colleges. But again, that's at odds with what the NCAA wants. They want to regulate anybody trying to give money as an inducement. They don't want the boosters or anybody that has an association or a reason to try to push a recruit to a particular school with mo with money, with certain benefits. So again, talking about it from a compliance standpoint, there's all kinds of pitfalls there. And it's just one of those things where I, I don't know a lot about it. I'm not really actively trying to learn a lot about it. Uh, I understand NIL and have a grasp on NIL from the standpoint of actual companies 
sponsors trying to use athletes to endorse their products or endorse their service. And from that standpoint, I understand it. But when it comes to boosters getting together and pooling money to try to induce recruits to go to their school, I, I don't see a lot of legality there. And so I just kind of staying away from it until the NCAA or, or some regulating body, whether it be a state or some type of new entity that's created from NIL, comes along and says, okay, this is what's legal and this is what's legal and it's better defined. This next one comes from D from Central Valley, who asks us questions all the time. So thank you, D. I noticed on the big visitor list that Micah Benuelos and Alani Noah are scheduled to visit. I thought Benuelos was favored to commit to Texas A&M and Noah to Oregon. Do you think the USC has a legit chance to sign these linemen? Second question, seems like Elijah Page has had a great official visit at Notre Dame as of today. Page is still scheduled to visit on the big weekend. How can USC turn the momentum back to the Trojans? Thank you for what you guys do. I am a truck driver. I normally start the podcast in Fresno, and it concludes at the Grapevine. Well, this is the number one podcast for long-haul truck drivers because we routinely go two hours plus, so we knock off a big chunk of driving. So, Gerard, I hope you know that we're we're big in the truck driver community. There you go. Uh, my father-in-law is actually a truck driver, so or he was a truck driver. He's actually retired now. So he used to go cross country to, uh, he used to go back to Iowa all the time and drive out here in 18 wheeler. And so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, you're looking for anything and everything you can, you know, to kind of keep your mind off of, you know, the, the long road ahead. Uh, but you know, Bakersfield, Fresno to the grapevine, you know, that's the, that's going to be the Grant Bucky route, you know, to USC. So, um, that's not so bad. That's not so bad, but, uh, we appreciate the listen and uh, the uh, the follow on the podcast. Um, in terms of the question, uh, do they have a legitimate shot at uh, Micah Benuelos and Alani Noah? I think that they do have a legitimate shot. Anytime you get a guy on campus um, for an official visit, you certainly have a shot at those kids. I think they're sort of a little bit on the outside for Benuelos. Um, again, center prospect. They have uh, another recruit uh, that they have coming in a little later in the year, uh, Landon Hatchet, who's also a center recruit. He's the also Hatchman. The Hatchman. He's also from uh, the state of Washington, and they're both, you know, in that six three two ninety five range. That's how you know they're they're more than likely centers. I mean, they could end up playing interior guard or something like that, but uh, they're kind of looked at right now as center prospects. But yeah, I, I think they have a legitimate shot. I, I don't think they're long shots necessarily. Um, but you know, is USC the lead dog, uh, for, for either right now, it's hard to say with Alani just because he's so quiet and we really haven't heard a whole lot uh, about his recruitment. I mean, again, he's one of those guys that could pop up at Cal this weekend and turn around and, and commit to Cal. And we're like, okay, so have a nice one, Alani, you know, uh, but, uh, I, I think USC is definitely, um, in a good place for him. And I would I would venture to say that they're, you know, definitely among his top schools and probably a little more so just because with Ben Uelos, he's been around and he's taken some unofficial visits and some schools have impressed him. And uh, he's another one of those sort of SP, uh, F, FPS kids. Uh, yes, you said it. Yeah. You got it. The 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 five star um, blue chip uh, seven on team, which is a training 
organization. And USC's not had a lot of uh, success with that group. You know, that's a, a sort of a Josh Connolly group as well. And some of those other guys that USC's recruited, uh, JT Tuomoyalau. Um, hey, Julian, Julian Simon says, hey, watch your mouth. That's the one guy that they, <laughs> uh, they actually got. If USC had a commitment from Trey Davis uh, many years ago, and, um, you know, that was sort of, it seemed like USC was just trying to get their foot in the door <laughs> with that group and took a guy that yeah, probably shouldn't have been taken. And uh, I don't think he made it through uh, summer workouts and nope. uh, ended up transferring. Um, so, yeah, uh, they haven't had a lot of success up there, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes with uh, Benuelos. And in terms of Elijah Page, you know, that's a tricky one. I would say the best way to get momentum back is actually get him on campus for that. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what I was going to say. So it's you're going to have to wait and see on that one. It's uh, over two weeks or not two weeks, but, you know, you got to wait at least another week to see how that plays out. It's never a good sign when coming off Fisher visit and then you get bang, 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 all those crystal balls. So you're going to have to wait and see on that one. But like we mentioned earlier in the segment, you'll still, even if he cancels it, you'll still have that uh, that ability to get him on campus later in the season, maybe for that Notre Dame game, a team that you're going to play. So I think number one would just be getting him on campus if that's if that happens uh, next weekend or in the fall. That's how you get the momentum back. So that's my answer for that one. And this one comes from Eric in Duck Country. Chris and Hurricane, I have two questions. Could the big recruiting weekend be measured as a success based on who commits rather than the total number of commits? They end up with eight commits or fewer, but they're all linemen. Would that be a success? And two, do you see a commitment in June sticking all the way to December? Until the pen hits paper, I have a hard time getting excited about a recruiting class. Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we kind of talked about that. 50% 50% ratio being sort of a successful weekend just because you have so many recruits coming in. But yeah, I mean, if you're getting Mateo Ungulale, let's say Lucas Simmons, uh, you're able to get um, Francis Mayagoa, you're able to get Anthony Hill. <laughs> All these guys are, every, every, uh, the USC fans are passing out right now. What are yeah, you doing? Christian Gray and, 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 and Malachi Crawford, you, you're just able to get, you know, the, the top end um of of the the group and it's not you know half of the group it's not 12 guys it's only eight guys but those eight guys it happens to be you know three five stars and and a couple four stars yeah i mean they would definitely be um a feeling a of, of success and momentum from that uh that's not really expected uh but yeah that you do have to sort of take that into account as well who commits is obviously a big deal and certainly you want to get some linemen commit that that's a huge thing for USC and uh, you want to get the right lineman commit because the truth of the matter is if all their commitments were, you know, uh, let's say it's Amos, Talele, uh, Elijah page. And um, let's say uh, who's, who else is there? That's uh, like a um, Alani Noah. Then that, that was the commit group. You'd be like, okay, you know, that's a it's some guys, you know, that they got, and they've they've got to get some bodies, and they've got to get some guys as contributors. And in that group, you might have a guy that's way underrated, but you definitely want to get Lucas Simmons and or Francis Malagoa. That's that just goes without saying. I, I feel like a successful weekend, one of those two guys has to commit. I, I feel like so the who definitely matters. You can't miss out 
um, your top end guys, you know, Mateo, uh, Mateo Ungulale and, and, and those guys and, you know, just get the bottom half of uh, the recruit list and say, oh, it was such a success. So it's definitely a little bit of both. And in terms of the second question, do you see a commitment in June sticking all the way to December? I would say yes, but I think every program that gets June commitments, they don't have all those guys stick together. I mean, stick all the way to December. I mean, you know, guys get flipped. Maybe guys get, you know, pushed out of the class. But I would feel confident about this Lincoln Riley staff and Lincoln Riley in general leading this recruiting class in terms of they get a guy, let's say they get, I don't know, like, 11 commits in June. I'm not confident all of those guys would make it to December, but I'm confident that if they wanted to keep them and they wanted to keep them around, that the majority of them would stick just because I think you can trust Lincoln Riley and this recruiting staff much, much better. And I think they're going to have a much better season. I mean, we've talked about how this team is going to put up points, the defense question mark or whatever. I think they're going to be better than they were last year, but I think this team is going to win some games how many is in question? You know, as we've talked about, you want to get to that at least double, uh, double the wins from last year. So eight, nine range. And if you're in that 10 range, I don't think you have any problems keeping guys that you want that committed in June to stick in December. Yeah, I think one of the aspects here is that USC losing as many games as they did last year, it does set the bar low for the coaching staff to be able to sell we're turning this thing around. Right. So, you know, there's no magic number out there in terms of wins that the coaching staff is going to cite as a successful season. But certainly the fact that you only won four games last year, and this is where having such a bad year last year is a good thing. You can win eight games, which is very, very doable. You know, we even thought in the Clay Helton era, that was doable. You know, we're always looking towards, you know, is this the year that USC can actually win 10, 11 games? They have the talent and they have the schedule with this conference being so abysmally bad that they can win 10 or 11 games. Now the bar is actually a little lower for a better coach, a more established coach, a more qualified coach and vis-a-vis coaching staff. And they actually have to attain less, in my opinion, to be able to sell we won double the games as last year. We're going to turn this thing around. And that's where the momentum comes in. And that's where guys start to buy in. Also, what will help them maintain any of the commitments that they get over the summer is the fact that you're not going to have any questions about where's Lincoln Riley going to be next year. Right. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're only able to win five games next year. He ain't going anywhere. Stability and wins in recruiting. Stability is certainty and certainty is a huge factor in recruiting out of state. When you're recruiting guys to come all the way across the country, it's a big deal for them to know what the scheme is going to be, who the coaches are going to be. Because when there's any questions about that, it undermines your ability to recruit out of state because guys just don't want to leave home not knowing who they're going to be around. It's like, yeah, I like the school. I like the environment, but I don't know if that coach is going to be there after my freshman year he might be gone because they might not win enough games and you had that almost every single year with clay helton even in the years where we felt there's no way they're going to fire clay helton that didn't mean that there were other schools in the ears of recruits saying clay helton's going to be fired clay helton's going to be fired look at how many games that he won or how many games he's projected to win he's on the hot seat 
And if he's on the hot seat, then everybody on that staff is on the hot seat. So I think stability goes a long way for this coaching staff being able to recruit out of state. Again, with so many recruits coming in for visits over the summer and them wanting to commit over the summer, unfortunately, there's a little bit of faith that has to go into, okay, USC is going to get this thing back on track and they're going to start competing for national championships again. But you still have the ability to recruit during the season and at the end of the year. And there's still potentially some coaching moves and some coaching changes that can happen that if you took that, you had that official visit and you had that kid on campus, you know, potentially you could circle back to that and say, listen, you loved USC when you were here. You've already taken that visit. You don't need to squeeze that visit in again. If it's possible for you to take an unofficial visit. Awesome. But you know what the campus is like, you know, you loved Los Angeles, that coaching staff that you committed to at that other school is not there anymore. You have a good relationship with us. And that's the groundwork for being able to flip a commit when you've been able to show that, hey, we just won the Pac-12 title. And we're going to play in the Rose Bowl. This next question comes from Keith W. To start, love what you guys are doing with the show. Chris, you aren't annoying. Keith, thank you for making my day and possibly my week. I have a two-part question, and I'm going to try to not come across as a hater via email. Number one, do you think Arch Manning is the best QB in the 2023 class? Two, in any event, why do you think he is listed as the top QB in the 2021 class despite A, not facing good competition during the season, B, generally avoiding camps where other highly ranked QBs are competing? The latter would cause most recruits to sink in ratings. Best, Keith W. So an interesting question in terms of a player that obviously is not a USC recruit, but obviously it plays into it, – it, it is sort of USC-related because Arch Manning, the quarterback out of Louisiana, and M- Manning descendant – yes, I guess I said that right. Manning descendant is rated right above USC commit Malachi Nelson. And I know a lot of USC fans would love to see Malachi Nelson as the number one overall prospect and the number one quarterback in this class. So obviously – I don't want to speak for me or Gerard, but we have not seen Arch Manning in person, throw in person. You know, you can look at the, the the highlights or whatever. You could look at the level of competition. And obviously, yes, this whole avoiding camps and like not doing Elite 11 are sort of things that are talked about when it comes to, to Arch Manning. But I can't really say without having seen him in person if he's, if he's the best QB or not. The 2023 class, I know people have talked about Malachi Nelson and his sort of special talent and his his ability to, you know, be the number one guy in this class. And look, I don't want to seem like I'm talking like I know things, but I think when it comes to a guy like Arch Manning, having the last name Manning, obviously there's going to be a lot more people and a camp around Manning and sort of protecting sort of this this brand that is the Manning name, especially when it comes to a quarterback. It's not like Arch is like a wide receiver or anything. He is a quarterback with the most famous last name you can have as a signal caller. If his last name was Arch Johnson, would he be number one? I don't know. I, I think he'd be less likely because the do the Manning last name does have a certain amount of cachet in uh in football, but I do think that there is sort of maybe a 
a what's the word I'm looking for? A more thought out uh, plan of not maybe exposing him a lot to these camps to sort of protect the Manning name because he is under so much scrutiny. You know, everything he's so such under he's under such a microscope. And if he has a if he has a bad camp or has a good camp, it's probably going to be on ESPN in some capacity. So I think because he's so highly rated, anything that he does. If it's not even like close to being number one caliber type stuff, it's just going to hurt him. He has more to lose than he has to gain as the number one overall player, especially with the last name like Manning. I agree with that. I think it's a great question. It's a question that I've been asked plenty of times. Yeah. I think absolutely if his name was Arch Johnson, he would not be ranked the number one recruit in the nation. I think if he doesn't show up to any of these top events over the summer, He should not be number one in the nation. You have to prove it. Just because your last name is Manning, I understand that there's a very nice ratio of Mannings being successful (laughs) and going on from college to the NFL. And so I I get that. Bloodlines are a thing. They're definitely a thing. Um, But you do have to prove it at some point. And certainly his competition level in high school does not prove it to me. Not against the other guys that you're considering in that top, you know, five or six quarterbacks nationally. So I think he's just a matter of wait and see. What does he show up at? Where does he compete? And how does he look when he competes there? He's not a terribly mobile quarterback. And that's something that I think, again, these days is definitely a bit of a black mark. I think that's a bit of a successful quarterbacks these days are at the very least able to extend a play okay so maybe they're not athletes that can run downfield and gash the defense for 40 yards but they are athletic enough that they can move outside the pocket and extend the play and we know that is not necessarily the trait of the Mannings past and watching Arch on film that's not necessarily his trait and the Mannings past played in a different era of football So I think that is definitely an issue. I think that's definitely something to watch for. Um, So you put everything on him throwing the football. And this is sort of similar that when we look at quarterbacks at USC and we're lining up, okay, who do you play? And you have, let's say, Jackson Dart versus a Miller Moss. Okay, so we had that quarterback competition last fall. What I said then and what stands in my mind still is that when you have a quarterback in practice that is a kind of a pure pocket passer, he has to be lights out because if it's close, you know that that other quarterback that has the ability to run is going to give you an added amount of offense that you are not going to see in practice. Another dimension. A whole other dimension. And this goes for camps as well because when we're at these camps, these guys are not running away from defensive tackles. There's there's no real running athletic element that's included in these camps. Hell, they barely pass the ball in these camps anymore. I mean, most of these quarterback camps, it's 80% standing around, 20% actually throwing the ball. So you really have to see a guy just with his arm strength, his accuracy, the cerebral side. There's always the chalk talk that we don't really see that's behind the scenes when they're talking about breaking down coverages 
and and option routes and, and being able to read the defense and read the blitz, so on and so forth, make those calls. That's a whole element that you have to keep in mind as well. But when it's close with how they're practicing and you've got one guy that's a pocket passer and you got one guy that's athletic and he's going to be able to run the football and get you, you know, six yards on third and five, you got to go and play that guy who's the athletic quarterback. I mean, we, we, we've seen that in college football be such – a dynamic addition to an offense. And most of these really good offenses have quarterbacks that can run the football. It's, it's just a very difficult element to be able to defend with 20 hours as a defense at the college level. You don't see it as much or as successful at the NFL level because those guys can scheme and practice much more against it. But in college football, it's a complete option. And that guy that scrambles around, He's going to be able to move that offense and give you a whole nother set of downs. So when it comes to the conversation of where Arch Manning is versus Malachi Nelson or Nico Aimeleva, so on and so forth, I think at the camps, A, he's got to show up to the camps. He's got to compete. If he doesn't and he decides, hey, I'm Arch Manning, I don't need to go to camps to prove anything. Okay, cool. Well, you're the fourth, fifth best quarterback in the nation then. You know, maybe you are the best, but we don't see it and we don't know it. And that's a reason why other guys that are maybe ranked lower. I mean, Christian Pierce is a good example for USC. Uh, Grant Bucky, I talked about this with him last night. We got to see these guys in person. You know, now I've seen Christian Pierce in person. Uh, a lot, uh, Most of the other national experts have not because Christian Pierce has not shown up to any camps. But I've seen him play twice in person. And I've seen the guy. He's a dude. Okay. He's a guy that could de- definitely go to Ohio State or go to Oklahoma and be that guy that got away from USC out of state and ends up being an all-conference player somewhere else. Okay, so I've seen him play. I've seen his speed. I've seen his size. And those are all just important elements. And if guys don't go to camps, then you don't get to really see what they're about and how they stack up against the competition and how they step up against that competition. You know, how, how do you step up your play? Because it's also sometimes a factor when you are playing against poor competition at the high school level, you play down to that competition to some extent. And you don't really see a guy until he's playing against another good team and other good players really sort of raise his game. So you want to see those guys in that element, in that environment. And until we see Arch Manning in that environment, I think it's definitely open to debate. And people have a very good argument to say that other quarterbacks should be ranked higher ahead of him. I think obviously you made a lot of great points and just to wrap this up, I wonder how much if Arch Manning himself wants to do these camps, but as I mentioned, maybe the people around him are not letting him do those camps. Obviously that's just like a question I have in my mind. Maybe Arch does want to go out there, but maybe it's more of a situation where like, you know, I, we really advise you to do, uh, to not do this, do not compete in that and sort of maybe protect the status as number one, but I agree. If you're a quarterback, you need to be in sort of these environments where you're put, you're put under the microscope, and you're you're going up against some of the the best of the best because you're the quarterback. You're the guy everyone looks to, and you you have to have a certain amount of pressure on you every time you go out there to take a snap. So you need to see how we uh, we you know rec- uh, evaluators and stuff like that. Coaches need to see how you sort of handle these high pressure situations. So I don't know, Gerard, I don't think he's going to do any of those camps. So, but again, we'll see. Maybe he does one late. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And we have a very long detailed question. Hey guys, 
Great job on the pod. Loving it so far. This question is portal-related. At the time I'm writing this email, according to Ryan, U.S. has three more scholarship spots and based on the past few two-star pods. It sounds like we need another D-line and maybe one to two more O-line. It seems like there are a ton of high-profile guys in the portal, like Darnell Simpson out of Oklahoma, four-star offensive tackle. Are we looking at any of these guys still in the portal or any of them definite no's for outside reasons, something like the Clay Webb issues? Sorry, the e- this email sort of long. Just curious to see if there is a reason we haven't heard much about these guys. And he goes on to list a bunch of guys. Gerard, you have the document. You can look at those. Um, are even the skill guys still on the board? Guys like uh, Oregon Safety, Damon David, or four-star linebackers still on the board? Thanks for taking the time to read this email, and I look forward to the next pod. Coach B from San Diego. Gerard. Yeah, I don't know. Any- I, I, they're, ne- they're just a bunch of names uh, when it comes to the transfer portal. Sometimes we hear that, okay, you know, SC's a, a player for this guy or that guy. None of these guys have really been talked about very much uh, yeah. in any of the USC circles that I have. Um, they do need, I think, another offensive lineman potentially. They definitely need another defensive lineman. You know, yeah. I, I think that uh, they definitely could use one, maybe two more transfers. Um, but at the same time, coaches usually like to have a little bit of headspace when it comes to uh, that 85 limit and mainly because you want to be able to give some scholarships to potentially some walk-ons and have that as a bit of a carrot to get some preferred walk-ons on campus. So we'll see how that's used. I think with three, you know, there's definitely another spot out there, uh, but we haven't heard any like specific name. And for a lot of these guys, there's always something that, you read, okay, he only played one game in three years at this school, or he's been hurt, or he had legal problems, or, you know, there's there's usually caveats as to why they're actually in the portal. <laughs> you know, the guys that are the big-time guys that are the ones that have that ability to go and contribute right away, everybody and their brothers on those guys, and you know those guys right out of the gates, are going to be uh, contacted by USC and multiple other schools. Um, with some of these guys, I, I just did not names that I've that I've heard pop up. Uh, doesn't mean that USC isn't uh, in contact or you know sort of uh, feeling out uh, what and what what they can do contribution wise um, where they would fit in. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, haven't seen or heard a lot about official visits. Actually, thought maybe there would be some guys on campus last weekend taking uh, mm-hmm. official visits that would be transfers, and didn't really hear anything. Didn't really see anything. So. You know, we kind of wait and see. Um, you kind of want things to be done. I think USC is close to being done with it, but I haven't heard any sort of, okay, yeah, we're not taking any more transfers sort of thing. You know, I haven't heard any finality uh, from any sources I've talked to just yet. Yeah, and I think it would mainly be if they're going to take more guys, it's going to be in the trenches, interior defensive linemen or offensive linemen, specifically offensive tackle. I don't think they need another safety. I don't think they need another linebacker. They've done pretty well with, you know, Shane Lee, Eric Gentry, and then obviously uh, Carson Tabarucci. So I think they're good on linebackers. So, And the guys listed here are considered more edge prospects. I don't think USC needs more edges. They need an interior guy. So I think it would have to be, you know, a bigger body guy who can fill in, you know, in that, that nose guard spot, defensive tackle spot, and then obviously offensive line. We keep hearing about or we keep getting asked about Derek Hunter, you know, the Texas A&M guy who's a, four star, a former four-star defensive lineman turned offensive tackle. 
I think if Hunter was a serious target, it would have happened by now because he's been there so long and he already has connections to the staff. So those are just my two cents on those guys and that the whole situation. But thank you for the co- uh, the thank you for the coach. Thank you for the question, Coach B, and thank you for listening. Gerard, we got one more question left, and it is a two-parter. So let's end strong. This one comes from Alex. Do Pac-12 fans care more about players as human beings compared to SEC or other conferences? I feel like Alabama and OU fans don't really care about their players as people. They just want their team to win. Two, will we ever see a college football draft like the NFL draft? And what would it look like? And bonus question, does Gerard ever play the song Rock You Like a Hurricane for the ladies? And Chris, what song did you play for your lady when you first met? Well, I can't personally say I've ever seen Gerard play Rock You Like a Hurricane for the ladies, but if he wants to confirm or deny that, he can right now. <laughs> that bonus question is wild. Uh, uh, no, I've never played. I can't say that. I, I did play guitar, <laughs> classical guitar once for a girl. She asked me to play. I was uh, actually taking a classical guitar uh, course at Mount Sac over the summer. <clears throat> And a girl came up to me and she's like, play for me. So I did like a serenade song. me with your guitar. Yeah, what? Was, How old were you? Was... Huh? How old were you? I was in college still. Okay. So I was, you know, but, um, but no, I, 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 the stuff that I played wasn't for chicks, man. It was, it was thrash <laughs> metal, death metal, neoclassical metal stuff that just, you know, not, uh, it's not for, wasn't for, wasn't for chicks, bruh. Who sings yeah. rock me like a hurricane? And Rocky, and you know what? Truthfully, I don't think I ever played Rocky like a hurricane. I mean, that's the Scorpions, and that's a really cool band. But I was actually a little more UFO. The Scorpions, Michael Shakar. I was more Mike. What was that? No, I was like, I was just saying, like, I, I did not know the Scorpions. I've never heard of that band. So, well, that's who sings Rocky like a hurricane. Yeah. And so that's that's a cool band. You know, it's a little before my time, but still, I, I, you know, if you you play guitar and you have respect for the instrument and appreciation for the instrument you give homage to the guys that have come before you the great players before you and uh um i was more of a ufo michael shankar guy because michael shankar was the you know the gibson flying v and um dr doctor so i tended you know when it came to like because because scorpions is eh, you're getting hair bandish you're getting close now i wouldn't say they're a hair band acdc is not a hair band uh, we actually talked about this at the camp. They were playing Def Leppard. Uh, and I can't remember if it was Bring It On The Heartbreak or maybe Photograph. I can't remember what song they were playing. But Def Leppard kind of sort of is 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 on the cusp there of being a hairband. And I'm not a real hairband fan, but I did like Def Leppard, even though Chris, completely out of character, says Def Leppard sucks. Def Leppard sucks. And then he explained the context of that, which I didn't catch the first time around. It's from Joe Dirt. Yeah. If you're if you're a Joe Dirt person, you know you got to tweet at me. Def Leppard sucks. I I do that all the time. I don't really know much about Def Leppard other than that. They don't quote. suck. They're actually okay. That's fine. I, I I don't I don't know, but I just do that quote all the time, especially when anyone brings up Def Leppard. I have to I have to throw it out there. In terms yeah. of me, I could couldn't tell you what song I first played for my lady we did play this game when we were dating early where we have this station on satellite where it only plays like songs from 2000s and we would play this game where we would cover it up and you would have to guess 
the name of the song, the artist, and then what year it came out. And we would get points based off that. So I guess technically those were songs I sort of technically, quote unquote, played. So it's probably like a Santana song or something. Something very throwbacky to the 2000s. Oye, como va? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I, I kind of just want to end the podcast on that, but we still have these uh, these actual well, this is the, the, the first question is quite a doozy here. <laughs> that, that is quite a doozy, and Our I really Pac- cannot Pac-Cola speak. Pac-Cola fans just better people. I wouldn't say asking. that. I think it, you know, the, the whole the whole motto, the mantra, it just means more in the South. Listen, I, I don't think that's inaccurate. I think that's very accurate. I think... Uh, it's a lifestyle, you know, there's, uh, there's just people that are wound up and it's all about college football. The, the college that they went to, there's this emotional invested sort of take when it comes to their team and anything that happens to their team. And yes, I don't think that that is as true across the board with PAC 12 fans. Um, but in terms of, you know, <laughs> Whether they, 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 they care about the players for real as human beings or not, I, I could not tell you that. <laughs> I, I could not get into that. Um, I think that would be casting dispersions on a large group of people uh, stereotypically, and uh, I don't want to do that. Fair enough. Fair enough. And will we ever see a college football draft? God, I hope not, because the NFL draft itself is already too long. Um, so I wouldn't want any part of a college football draft out of the high school ranks, that'd be so many people. Yeah, that would be crazy. But I, we could see a sort of draft-ish thing if college football becomes more of a farm league uh-huh. for the NFL. If this uh-huh. NIL and everything gets to the point where it's just not profitable enough for the schools because we have to talk about margins and we have to talk about profit margins, bottom lines. And if, you know, it comes down to a school's got to start paying these players and, you know, they have to start getting in benefits and, you know, they're paying taxes now because they're employees, so on and so forth. And the university just say, listen, we're not doing any of that anymore. And the best players end up going to a farm system, sort of like it happens with minor league baseball. Then, yeah, you would see some sort of uh, draft of sorts, I, I, I guess, you know, and that would be interesting again. I want to sort of um, pick Chalkin's brain about minor league baseball and the farm system and sort of how that goes with kids out of high school and who chose, who chooses to go to college with the limited amount of scholarships that they have and who chooses to go pro and, and, you know, how much money do they get? And that's a whole world and universe that I just know nothing about, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that that ends up happening in college football. Certainly not. And I know you're a big, uh, Conspiracy theory isn't the right word, but you're a big uh, uh, truther when it comes to that college football could end up being like that farm system down the road. So we'll have to wait and see. I was a real flat earther there for a second. No, 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 no. Truther. Truther. And those are all our questions, Gerard. Would you be okay with me making a Def Leppard Sucks uh, soundbite for the podcast? Sure. Yeah, you uh, you could do it. I, I'm. Would you be okay with me following up and saying they really don't suck? Yeah, I could get that audio and just play that right after it. They really don't suck, though. They really don't. And Gerard, I thought this would be one of our shorter ones for whatever, like the 10th straight one we've gone over. I think all of them have been two hours except for the first one. 
because I was actively trying to keep it under two hours. So we're really on a quite a streak here. 11 straight, 11 up, 11 down, two hours in the bag. So, Gerard, do you have anything to say as we go into this week, which will have, you know, obviously that big Vegas tournament. We have the first official visit weekend. Anything you want to say before going into this? I think the first three-hour podcast is on the horizon. I think with the next oh my weeks, Oh, my goodness. They, uh, they, they've might, been asking might, for it. Maybe we should just create a Twitch channel and have a 24-hour stream after that uh, June 19th Sunday. That would be fun. That would be fun. But I heard you're not supposed to do 24-hour streams. They're brutal. You can, but, though. No, I think you... Uh, uh, I know you can. I'm just oh. saying, like, you should <laughs> Twitch doesn't allow you to go more than I think 48 hours. I think that there's a there's an actual rule where you have to uh, log off at some point. But uh, yeah, there's plenty of 24 hour streams. The difference between what you see on Twitch as a 24 hour stream most of the time is that you know if somebody's playing an actual video game <laughs> that you know everybody's watching. Uh, we would just be sitting there uh, twiddling our thumbs talking about. I, and- I would need like one of us to like play each other and like. NCAA football, like find a way to emulate that, and so we can play each other throughout that. That's yeah. what I would need to we, help. We would have to have it. like some sort of uh, board games, or Ryan would do something in the studio, or whatever. Like we would have to make it like a whole thing, which you know I don't think that would be necessarily entertaining, and we'd probably have <laughs> a congruent number of viewers being probably like a hundred to two hundred people, maybe. You know, so uh, we're not, you know, we're not threatening Ninja or Summit. Or Dr. Disrespect uh, with that stream. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, a interesting idea, but yes, we might reach that three-hour mark for the June uh, for next weekend. So we'll have to uh, rest our vocal cords and prepare for that one. Uh, again, that's uh, that's Gerard, a.k.a. Hurricane. I'm Chris. Thank you again for joining us uh, for the Composite Suits Our Recruits, and we will see you next week.